Welcome to the Tennis Addict Podcast, the podcast for tennis fans by tennis fans. Listen as the hosts break down the latest news and tournament results from around the tennis world. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The podcast is produced early each week, so feel free to add us to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. The links will be in the show notes. Here are your hosts, Mike, Eric, and Michael. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Michael, and it's just going to be me this week. I'm going solo in this episode. I'm by myself, so hopefully this will work well enough for you guys. Um, I rather couldn't make it in uh, for this recording, and if you weren't here last week, then you didn't hear that the other co-host, Michael, so I'm Mike, <laughs> he's Michael, I think we probably should do that. It's just going to be easier to remember. Um, He's going to be taking a sabbatical for a while from the podcast. He's got a young child and it just makes things difficult when it comes to, you know, recording on Sundays, uh, which is when we usually do our recording. We occasionally do them on Mondays if, if that doesn't work out, if Sundays uh, don't work out, but uh, it doesn't work as well for everybody's schedule, especially mine. So what we've done is make Sundays our primary recording time. And Mondays only if absolutely necessary. And given all that, um, we're going to let Michael kind of, you know, fade into the background for a little bit. He's going to do his thing. He's going to send in some notes from time to time. He's going to, you know, obviously continue watching tennis and he'll be involved in the podcast in some capacity. So, you know, don't feel like he's never coming back because that's not the case. Um, We're looking, hopefully he'll be back for the season ending episode. And then come the season preview for 2019, you know, hopefully he'll be there. And I'm pretty sure he will at that point be back and, and ready to jump aboard the podcast again. So, all right. Uh, I'm going to do my best to kind of get through this episode uh, without the ability to bounce ideas off of anybody. So just bear with me. I'll, I'll go through everything that we've got prepared and, you know, get out of here pretty quickly, I think, since I have nobody to uh, bounce ideas off of or argue with or, or whatever. All right, so let's start out with set one here. And it is, of course, the news as usual. So on the ATP side, um, a few things of note. So the first thing is that Jim Courier has stepped down as Davis Cup captain after eight years. Eight years, you know, it's a long time. A lot of Davis Cup captains don't last that long. Um, Maybe maybe two years, three years, uh, four, you know, stuff like that. But most Davis Cup captains, I don't think, generally last eight or more years. Um, and and you know, I gotta applaud Jim because, you know, he's done a lot with the U.S. Davis Cup, and you know, you go back eight years, and Andy Roddick was still playing, you know, at a pretty good level at that point in time. I believe Marty Fish was still uh, playing. Uh, you had John Isner, uh, Sam Quarry, and those two, of course, are still around. And you got some young guys coming up like Francis Tiafo. Uh, as time's gone on, I think he's done about as well as he could have done. And I have to applaud him because uh, being Davis Cup captain it carries a lot of expectations, especially for the United States. And so um, I got to applaud what Jim has done 
with the group and given you know what he has, which is good players, but not the giant killer on the team that maybe Roddick was it you know in his prime, right? Or if you go back further in time, like Agassi and Sampras were, you know, back in the '90s and the early 2000s, you know, and obviously this year was the best result he's had. You know, making it to the semifinals, that great uh, matchup, you know, that they they nearly got through. They really, they really, did. they took, they took Croatia, you know, to the limit, and you know, ended up winning or losing. I'm sorry, in in that fifth rubber. Um, all right. So, uh, he's stepping down. No idea at the moment who's going to step in as Davis cup captain. I'm sure there are a lot of people that might want to throw their hat in the ring. It could be a lot of people, you know, maybe Sampras having been away from the game long enough now, maybe he'd be willing to do it. Uh, Agassi, I don't know. You know, he dabbled a little bit in coaching with, with Djokovic, which, you know, didn't, it didn't end well. It didn't seem like ultimately that was a, a fruitful par- partnership. But who knows? You know, maybe Davis Cup, which is something that I think Agassi loved more than anything as a pro player since he was playing with the team. Maybe that's something that he could see himself stepping into because, you know, it doesn't require all of your time. You know, uh, you don't have to constantly be on the road as a coach and things like that. You, he can do what he's got to do and, you could have sessions with the, with the players and the team, and yet it's not a a grind, you know, like it is for you know being a coach on tour. So we'll see what happens. I don't know yet who's going to be in there, but it'll be interesting to see, you know, the list of possible candidates that might step into that role. So let's move on now. Um, speaking of Davis Cup, Madrid will host the Davis Cup finals in 2019 and 2020. So. There was fear, I think, initially that the Davis Cup finals were going to be hosted over in Asia, which, you know, is a fantastic place and they love tennis over there. It's really growing. It's just actually exploding over there. Um, But for a lot of the European countries that, you know, love tennis and have, uh, you know, been going to Davis Cup uh, matches for, you know, decades and decades, to travel there is probably not easy. So I'm sure at some point in time, it'll probably make its way there, but it looks like they're going to start out in Madrid and, you know, that'll probably be hosted on the red clay. And that's uh, going to be interesting. It'd be interesting to see what happens there. Obviously, if you're an Nadal fan, I, I certainly am. Uh, that might bode well for Nadal and his teammates and making that road a little easier. But of course, you know, there is the finals, you know, those aren't, uh, Obviously, they're not going to be playing it on clay only uh, because there's more to it than that. Um, but it's interesting. I, I didn't expect Madrid to get it. I really thought that they might try elsewhere. Uh, I just didn't think Madrid was going to be the one that was going to get it. But, you know, I, I like it. And it'll be interesting to see what happens now with Davis Cup going into next year. Um We'll see how it works out. It's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. It's definitely gonna be interesting. Uh, let's see what else. Oh, Andy Murray pulls out for the rest of the 2018 season because uh, he was in he was in Beijing or he pulled out of Beijing, uh, and thus the 2018 season due to an ankle injury. 
So what he's going to do now is he's going to work on the leg. He's going to, I think, work on his general fitness once he, you know, uh, recovers from the ankle injury. And I think, look, it's been a bit of a mixed bag since he's been back, right? He had some, he had some good matches, um, you know, some less than stellar matches as well. He's obviously extremely rusty. So at this point in time, I think the best thing for Andy Murray is to take the rest of the year off and get himself ready for 2019, right? No pressure. He's ranked, what, like 300th in the world or, or something over, like over 300th in the world. It's, um, you know, it's, it's not a great rank, but, you know, what do you, what do you expect from somebody who has been out for a very long time? You know, at this point, I just say recover and, you know, come back fully healthy. You know, we've seen what players have been through when they come back too early. Djokovic tried earlier this year. Now, ultimately, things worked out well for him winning Wimbledon in the U.S. Open. Uh, but that wasn't easy for a while. And then you had Stan Wawrinka, who obviously came back in Australia and came back way too early. And that put a serious damper on his performance for quite a while. It wasn't up until, I was like, what, around the French Open when things started to turn around a little bit for him. Um, but right now, you know, Andy's 3'11". And, and it's just, look, it's, it's where he's at right now. So the best thing he can do for himself is get himself ready, come back, and hopefully be in the kind of shape he needs to be in in order to compete at the level that he used to. And, you know, is it possible? Sure. Will he? We don't know. Um, hopefully he can. You know, he's 31 years old. Uh, he's still got years left in him. Um, I just like to see him come back and be able to compete like he used to. So, all right. Uh, moving forward, um, there really isn't um, – it really isn't any news on the WTA side. I, I checked. Uh, there really isn't – really isn't anything. Uh, mostly it's just uh, tournament results, which actually brings us into set two. And it's a light week. Look, it's it's the post-US uh, Open. Uh, things really haven't ramped up yet. Uh, they will be very shortly here. Um, but because of that, there's only two major results to talk about, one on both the ATP and the WTA side. So on the ATP, a bit of a surprise. I couldn't believe it. I had to do a double take. Uh, it was Bernard Tomic defeating Fabio Fanini 6-1-3-6-7-6 to win the Shendu Open. Now, I, I, I didn't watch the match, I'll be honest. Um, I saw that Tomic had made it to the final and that Fanini was in the final. And given Bernard Tomic's basic lack of any real drive to be a tennis player for much of the last four to five years. Um, I just, I just figured, okay, you know, Hey, good result for Bernard. He made it to the final, but Fanini, he's just going to go out there and absolutely crush him. My surprise, uh, watching the highlights, I, I saw Bernard out there trying. It, it felt like he actually cared, you know, um, these are two mercurial players, We've seen Fanini out there on the court looking like he'd rather be anywhere but out there. And we know Tomic or Tomic has said that many times that he'd rather be anywhere be, the, than be out on the court. And when he's out on the court, most of the time he just looks disinterested and bored. So um, 
I was surprised. I, I checked the highlights. Uh, like I said, I watched him. I saw Bernard out there competing, competing well, looking more like the player that he used to be when he first kind of burst onto the scene years back and, you know, was like this young, up and coming, uh, you know, Australian tennis player that everyone was talking about. And, um, you know, congrats to him, you know, winning the Shendu Open. It went to a tie break. Uh, Fanini was up in that tie break. In fact, he had, uh, I think he had a couple of match points, which he failed to capitalize on. One match point was actually hit when, or that he didn't capitalize on was due to the fact that Bernard had a let cord, bounced over, and and he won the point, right? Uh, it was that close. Right, because you know, obviously, at that point, if he doesn't get that net cord, it's uh, I'm sorry, not net cord, net cord. Uh, he doesn't get that. It um, it's over. You know, Fanini's won, and it just didn't work out. Bernard uh, served served big, played steady to the end, and won. So good for Bernard. Um, hopefully, this is something that propels him forward. I, I really do. I hope this is something that he can take and use to give himself more motivation. I really do. I mean, I've never, I've never rooted against him generally as a player, right? I, I've always, I, I want these guys to do good. I just, I want tennis players to care, right? And when I see players out there not fulfilling their potential, not, you know, it's one thing to go out there and try really hard and lose. You just, you lost. That, that's okay. Fine. Um, but it's another thing to see a player who has enormous potential who just doesn't try. They just don't care. Um, and that's their life. And ultimately, at the end of the day, if that's what they want to do, then who I guess who am I to argue? But at the same time, as a fan of tennis, to watch that potential squandered, it just it bugs me. It's like nails on the chalkboard. It's like lemon juice on a, on a cut for me. Um, it's just it's annoying. Right, it's annoying to see that potential squandered. Um, it takes someone like, say, the recently um, uh, David Ferrer, who is retiring, I believe. Is he retiring or has he retired? Now I can't remember. Um, let me check real quick. But I think he retired. Now I can't remember. Maybe it's maybe it's at the end of the year. Yeah, it's a thing. Okay, so he's not yet retired. Okay. So, um, you know, take someone like David Ferrer. I mean, this is a guy who maximized his potential. You know, the guy's 5'9", which might actually be a little generous, to be honest. And he did pretty much everything he could possibly do in his career. He competed. He trained as hard as any player. Um, that's a guy, if you want to point to somebody and say, emulate anybody – you know, if you wanted to point to Nadal or or Djokovic or Federer, Murray, that's fine. I certainly couldn't argue with that. But I would honestly, out of everybody, point to David Ferrer because that guy maximized every ounce of of talent that he had. Give him another three to four inches, and we could be looking at a Grand Slam champion. Okay, so when I see someone like Tomic or Fanini or Kyrgios, and they're just out there not caring, showing no effort, it bugs me. Um, but to see this result from Tomic is is really great. 
And I just, I hope he takes this and gets some confidence and maybe this win showed him what he's capable of. Now, I know it's the Shendu Open. It's not, you know, a Masters 1000. It's not a Grand grand Slam or anything, but it's baby steps. Let, let's get back to the guy who competed week in and week out way back when and, and then move forward. Okay. All right. In the WTA side, Arena Sabalenka defeating Annette Konovit 6-3-6-3 to win the win the Wuhan Open. Um, so Sabalenka just went through a murderer's row of players in this tournament. Uh, she she took down Svitolina in the semifinals, and you know she's someone that people have been talking about for a little while now. Uh, very talented. Is in the mold of like a like a Maria Sharapova or a Garbina Muguruza, tall, a ton of power, and just excellent ball striking. So I'm I'm really um, surprised in a way because Conavit is another player that I really like. Uh, I like to watch her play. She's athletic. Uh, she's creative. Um, she has a lot of shots in her arsenal. And the fact that Sabalenka was able to come through in straight sets, uh, I watched the highlights for this match. I didn't get to watch it all, but from what I've seen or what I saw, it was, uh, you know, a little back and forth at times. There was a couple breaks, uh, uh, kind of eat broke Sabalenka, but, but, but Sabalenka was the one that was controlling most of the rallies and really pushing Contavit around, uh, and when she got Conavit on the ropes, I mean, it it on a rally, it was more or less it was over, you know, at that point. And uh, oh yeah, I guess there was one more result. Uh, Margarita Gaspar, I'm, I'm totally gonna butcher this name, so I do apologize. Margarita Gaspari, Gasparian um, Gasparian uh, defeating Anastasia Potapova six two six one. To win the Tashkent Open, uh, this was pretty much a victory um, that was as straight <laughs> and easy as you could possibly imagine. Six two six one. She really took control of this match, and uh, Potapova really didn't have much say in what happened out in the court. There, you know, uh, Margarita was just drilling balls, pushing her around, and uh, being very aggressive in this match and uh, just more or less overwhelmed Potapova. Uh, so good for her, you know, uh, we'll see what happens. These are two, uh, two players. I know uh, Margarita is making or has made her comeback. Uh, this is a big deal for her. So to win this tournament, it's, um, you know, the result of a lot of blood, sweat, tears, a lot of hard work has gone into this win to, you know, to get the Tashkent Open title. So good for her. Yeah, I'm definitely glad to see that she made a comeback and she's uh, now competing at a good level. All right, and let's move on to set three. So uh, initially when I brought, or when I wrote these notes out, um, I was going to have a co-host today, but uh, since I don't, uh, I'm just going to bring it up and I'm just going to talk a little bit about what I wanted to talk about. So the topic for this episode given that there isn't a whole lot going on, is the uh, the question about player safety. And I guess if I want to zero in a little more, I would say it's, you know, will the plague of, of season 
uh, ending injuries bring about any kind of change. So we've seen over the last few years the the ATP and the WTA they have they've tried to give players a little more time off, right? Uh, it used to be uh, that players would finish up the season I think in early December, and they really didn't have much time off, you know, between the World Tour Finals or Davis Cup, I guess, really. And in um, the new season starting, uh, and, you know, you're chasing the sun all year. You really don't have much. I mean, you have downtime here and there. Uh, you make it a week or two off uh, here. You know, you play pretty much steady for a few months and then you might get another uh, uh, few weeks, two, three weeks off. Um, but there really isn't, any dead period in tennis, okay? So, you know, we've seen Andy Murray out. Uh, last year, we had, obviously, Murray, Djokovic, and Stan out, Nisha Corey out. Uh, before that, the year before that, it was uh, Nadal and Federer were out. You know, so we're seeing a lot of these players dealing with these injuries that keep them out for an extended period of time. And it's not just the men, it's the women as well. There, There's always been injuries uh in a game like like tennis given the amount of tournaments that you play but you know as the years have gone on it just feels like these things happen more often and it's not just about the tournaments you know it's it's the tennis that's played outside of of the uh of the actual matches it's it's the thousands of balls that the players have to hit during the week Right, it's the thousands of balls and all of the the fitness and the the training and everything they go through between tournaments and in the off season. It's so easy for players to get injured, despite the fact that nutrition is much better these days than the, you know than it was in years past uh, and decades past. Uh, the the training um, regimens are are tailored uh, made for the specific players. Uh, and and that's great, but you know, even despite the fact that players are in better shape than they've ever been, I feel like you're still seeing a lot of these injuries, and that's unfortunate. It really is. You know, you have a lot of great players, and they work their tail off. And some of this is due to you know age, or at least a little bit due to age. But it just it feels like there's never much of an off season for tennis. And I, I wonder if either the thing that they need to do is to shorten the season by at least a month, okay? So the season ends maybe um, the end of October, right? So they get all of November, they get all of December off, and then they come back, you know, in early January. That to me is better. It's a better idea, I think, to give players more time off to let them actually regroup, recharge, train properly, and decompress. And you've heard me talk about this on the podcast before, but the grind of the tour, it's a grind. It's it's not just going out there and playing and the pressure of competing. It's, it's the travel. It's the jet lag. It's uh, being on the move all the time. Uh, 
you know, Pete Sampras talked about the grind, you know, the tail end of his career, it was just, it was really affecting him big time. You know, just the, the daily grind, the weekly, the monthly grind. I mean, it was just what used to be easy and kind of effortless for him back when he was younger, you know, when he was in his prime and, you know, he was, you know, in his twenties was much different by the time he got to his late twenties into his uh, early thirties. And when he retired was, it was the grind of the tour was really starting to take its toll on him. And it's something that that I think you're seeing a lot of players that are out for an extended period of time. They're coming back. And yeah, sure, they're coming back from injury, but they're also mentally refreshed. You know, Nadal comes back, Federer comes back, and they are ready. They're hungry. They can't wait to get out on there and, on the court and play and fight and, and try to win these titles. And then you compare that to other players that haven't had more than a few weeks off in years, you know, and they they don't they probably don't even know what that feels like. You know, Djokovic probably didn't know what that felt like until he was out, you know, due to his uh, his injury. So, you know, I think that there's this um, there's this uh, idea that the tennis players just go 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 and go and they don't care, but the fact is they do. Um, they've complained about it, and we know that the the grind and just the physical exertion and the breakdown of the body, it causes injuries to happen no matter how great shape you're in. Uh, it can happen to anybody. I just feel like there has to be some kind of compromise here, um, whether it be adding another month on t- uh, to their off-season at the end of the year or maybe a dead period mid-season. You know, maybe post Wimbledon, Wimbledon's over, there's a dead period. You know, maybe everyone's off, you push the the US Open back by a couple of weeks and basically push everything from, the you know, DC to Montreal, Toronto, US Open gets pushed back maybe, you know, another two weeks or so and, and maybe the players get a month off, you know, after the Wimbledon. Uh, dead period, no tournaments are played uh, except for maybe challengers. And that gives the players some time to just say, okay, okay, I'm going to take a week off. I'm not going to do anything, nothing. Maybe I'll take two weeks off and and I'll be able to just, just relax. Maybe I can go on a little vacation, get away. And then I'm going to come back and we're going to train and we'll, we'll get ready for the hardcore season. I know there's a little bit of time after Wimbledon, but it's not all that much. And you think, oh, you know, there was like three weeks, I think, two or three weeks until uh, Toronto or Montreal. And that's true. But is it, is it really time off? I mean, maybe you get to go home for a few days, but you know, you still have to train. You, re- you really have to get ready for the hardcore season. You can't take that much time off, maybe a week at most. I just, I feel like um, the injuries that we've seen, it's unfortunate. And these injuries happen and I, and I get that. It can happen regardless of how careful they are. But hard courts take more out of players than any other surface. They, it, it really affects the joints and the tendons in a way that you don't have to deal with nearly as much on, say, clay. Grass, there's so few grass tournaments that it, you know, it's it's Wimbledon and a warm-up tournament. You know, that's about it. But hard courts make up uh, a majority of you know, the tournaments are, that are played 
And we know how that affects players like Nadal, of course, but it's not just them or not just him. It's also everybody else because it does, it does, uh, it, it creates a lot of wear and tear on your body. And to ask these players to play week in and week out most of the year, train, um, and, and yet not suffer injuries that, that take them out of the game for six, eight months, 12 months or longer. It's asking a lot, you know? So it's just something that I wanted to bring up because, and I want, I want to know what you think. Uh, if you, do you think that there should be a dead period mid-season post-Wimbledon? Uh, everyone's off for a month, five weeks, maybe six weeks. Um, is that something that sounds like it's reasonable to ask, you know, given uh, how much these people that that play this very wonderful game that we love to to sit and watch, but you know, to ask them to put their bodies to the kind of stressors. Uh, is that a compromise, do you think, that should be made? Uh, or do you think that maybe they should add something on to the end of the year, like I said before? Or do you think, hey, this is fine the way it is? Um, you know, maybe do you think it's a fallacy that they don't have enough time off? Uh, you know, give me your thoughts, give me your opinions. I, I'd like to know what you think, you know? So, um, what are your thoughts on these these season-ending injuries that we've seen over the last uh, few years? And do you think that the ATP and the WTA should do something about it? Should there be a, a true off-season for tennis? Or should there be a, a mid-season dead period followed by, you know, the standard, uh, you know, off-season, which is, you know, about, uh, you know, a month, maybe six weeks at most. So let me know what you think. Uh, send in your email to freakinggeeksmedia at gmail.com. Let me know what you think there. Uh, write in the subject line what your email is about, and I'll certainly read it, and I will get back to you on the next episode. So uh, thanks for joining me. Until next time, um, you know, have fun watching tennis. It'll be a great week. Uh, big, st- big stuff coming up here with, uh, you know, China, Shanghai, all that, uh, we'll of course be there and be ready to talk about all of those great tournaments leading up to Davis cup and the world tour finals. So we'll see you guys next time. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the tennis addict podcast by freaking geeks media. Be sure to visit freakinggeeks.com as well as our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash freaking geeks for more great content. Also, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. It really helps. If you would like to write into the podcast and share your thoughts and ask questions, you can do so by sending your email to tennisaddictpodcast at gmail.com. You can contact Michael on Twitter using at Michael underscore Lanik or at FreakGeeks.
Intro music for this episode is Danger Storm by Kevin McLeod, which can be found at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. Outro music is Nowhere Land by Kevin McLeod, which can be found at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. You can also find the attribution in the episode description as well.